my thing is to actually talk about kingdom hum uh, the mission of kingdom humanity you've you've heard robert right and and robert doing over uh, over the couple of weeks you've heard mafa uh, i'm i'm not here to reteach what has been taught uh, i'm here really and i think i was sitting with this and the thing that that i've been really just reflecting on is the mission and me and um, not me and the mission the mission was first right and so it's the mission and me um, the mission and you, every one of us, and, and the mission and, and, and us. So, so that's the thing that I've been contemplating and just thinking about. So I'm going to go through a couple of slides which will look familiar. Uh, a lot of it will look familiar. And, and some of it just some of my own thoughts and considerations in this time as well. Um, how do we show up? The mission in me, how do I show up? What is God doing in my space? And the one thing I don't want to say, I think when I felt when we were praying for uh, Shezis, is that, that real thing about crossing over, um, you know, we've, we've reached a phase where we're not, we're not in and out of serving the Lord. We are deeply inside of something new. And God is doing in the earth. Um, you know, we have, to, we have to consider who we are in this time. The things that we've manage to, to do uh, or not to do uh, in, in days prior to this moment, um, we, we, don't, you know, we don't consider that we, we failed or we weren't able to do anything. It's a new day. What we really do is rise up in the newness of this day, rely on God to come, come forward in a very strong and very, you know, um, to, to move us forward, the mission in me. Uh, the mission and you, the mission and us. Okay, so the kingdom, what is kingdom humanity? We've been going through this. And I found it very helpful, even though we rehearse it. One of the things that as a community we learned very early on is that redundancy is good for us. Um, and we want these things imprinted on our hearts and on our minds consistently. So what is kingdom humanity? Kingdom humanity is the prophetic conviction that God is adorning the church with the humanity of Christ. And I love reading things at times with different emphases. I don't know if you like doing that. Yeah. Right? Different emphases. Yeah. Kingdom humanity is the prophetic conviction. That's one emphasis. Is the prophetic inference that God is adorning the church with the humanity of Christ. I love that. God is adorning. It's a conviction that we hold that God is at work. Uh, there's something that he's doing. There's a mission that he has begun um, that we are a part of. And uh, I'm going to talk to us about the mission and us and me. I'm using myself as a story. So I'm not going to be picky on anyone. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm picky on myself. Um, you know, and um, so God is adorning us. And, in you, and inside of our booklets, what did it say? It says that the humanity of Christ is, is the qualities and attributes of the nature of Christ that we are being adorned with. We are looking more like him in the way we live um, on a daily basis. I love this thing. I love history, guys. Um, I love history, and I think the boys love history as well in our family. Um, so this is the timeline. This is where we find ourselves in the new millennium. God has been doing a new thing, doing a new thing over time here. Um, but you see that there's something there that wasn't there before, right? That wasn't there before. <laughs> the 15th. Discerning Isis. 
If you looked and looked enough, it's like, it's like looking at your spouse. You look so many times every single day that when there's something that was there that, wasn't there that is there now, that wasn't there before, you definitely notice, right? <laughs> Men, we notice everything, right? We're the ones who notice everything. So with discerning eyes, we see that. So I'm going to take you all into a little bit of a home experience. So um, everybody know what a Joy magazine is? Yeah, yeah, Christian magazine. We used, I used to do a lot of this back in my days when I used to uh, work in the book room. I used to sell it. I used to read it, do all of that. I went to a client. Uh, Mercer and I both walked in, um, and she gave us a copy. And so we thought, hey, let's bring it home. The boys have not read a Christian magazine. They don't know what, what these things look like. And these are good resources for us, the Times. And so they found a story about a guy named William Tyndale in there. Anybody knows William Tyndale? If you don't, don't feel bad. You will know him by the end of this small story. Um, and I'm just, just focusing in there just to lay a platform for us. So William Tyndale uh, was around this time, 1454, he's, 1494 he was born. And he died in 1536. He was 42 years old. Quite scary that I'm sharing the story. I'm 42 this, this year. <laughs> it's a bit too close to home, you know. Um, and so he was a, he was a scholar. Uh, lived around the same time of uh, the German Martin Luther. Um, Martin Luther was born 11 years before him in this time, in the Protestant movement. And William Tyndale was actually inspired by the writings of Martin Luther. Um, and he became a leading figure inside of the Protestant Reformation at the time, okay? Um, and there's nothing, so I, I'm sharing a window, a story through him. It's because of a conversation we've had at home. Uh, you, can, you can actually pick anything along this timeline to talk about. Um, but first, how, what was the significant thing that he did? He was the first person to actually take the Hebrew and Greek texts and convert that into what is the English Bible. So, if you didn't know William Tyndale, the fact that you understand and not rely on hieroglyphics and symbols to understand the Word of God is because this scholar took and interpreted. Now, the Bible had been interpreted into other languages that the Catholic Church at the time was using, you know, um, but he was the first one to actually do that. Part of the thing, though, was the Protestant movement. He was the first one to use God's name in that Bible as Jehovah. And um, it was a part of the belief system of the Protestant Reformation at the time, that the name of the Lord is Jehovah, which caught him into a lot of trouble with the Catholic Church. He, he, he resided in, in England. So a lot of trouble in the Catholic Church there. This challenged the thinking of the time of the Catholic Church, but also the church at the time in England and the government functioned as one unit. But the Protestant movement was actually seeing this new dispensation come through where there was this tear and separation between the governance of the land and the church. And there was this hostility there that was existing. So the name of Jehovah, the Bible being translated actually became a point of hostility and, and he was sought after thereafter you know, by the Catholic Church. I think it was Henry VIII that was the, uh, the governor or leader at the time at, uh, inside of England. 
And so the first Tyndale Bible, though, that version, they called it the Tyndale Bible, was actually, it took 47 scholars about seven years um, after his passing or in that time. It took them seven years in total. But in 1611 was the first version of the King, King James Version Bible. 76% of that New Testament was from Tyndale. 83% of the Old Testament is Tyndale in the King James, King James Bible. So, a lot of that to say there. So, he was sought after and executed for challenging the church's position and the, the laws at the time um, and the, the union between the church and the, uh, and, and, and the government and the laws of the land. In fact, that's where Henry VIII actually used that as a moment to tear himself and tear the government away from church. He, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on there. It's a beautiful story, but that's where he is born. Inside of that Protestant movement, and I saw that, that God, how, how does this predestination work so perfectly? That this man, inside of this movement in Europe where there's so hostilities and challenges at the time between the church and, 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 and the government and the laws of the land, um, at that time the Roman Catholic Church ran everything. The Pope ran everything. And decisions couldn't be made. Uh, and part of the reason that Henry VIII, uh, quite a crazy guy, he had about six wives, right? And... Uh, he was looking for a reason to divorce one of his wives, Catherine. I think her name was uh, Catherine, an amazing lady, actually, uh, if you go and read about her. But the church would not allow him to because the Pope actually set the standard. He was the final say in terms of how the laws were run there. But the Tyndale Bible, actually, by him converting that to English, with all of this stuff inside of the Protestant Reformation gave this wedge, gave him an opportunity for the things inside of history, for history to be, re to be written there. Amazing story, right? And he was executed by Henry VIII because Henry VIII sort of saw him as an ally, but he himself, Tyndale, William Taylor, spoke against his divorce and he was pronounced a heretic Quite a hectic death. He was, he was executed by strangulation. Quite a hectic, hectic, hectic death there. But look at the commitment, 42 years old. You read the King James and every other version thereafter. Today, we have a, we have a Bible at home. We have a couple of Bible by Tyndale publishers at home. One of them being, I think, the Life Application uh, Bible. So that caught me thinking. What about the 80s? <laughs> what about the 80s? Well, there's, a, there's another part of history that has been written that is standing before you in 1981. And that's me. <laughs> so I'm thinking, in the 80s, God has been doing this, and I'm seeing my life, because what I want to do is talk about the mission and how does my life plug into what God is doing? And so I see myself here in the time where the prophetic is being reactivated. Prophets are speaking, being reactivated. The prophetic voice is being activated inside of church. I'm being born right up to the 90s. Instead, I lived through the apostolic reformation. So it's not me, guys. I see a lot of 80s here. A lot of guys in the 80s. 
And uh, there's also, yeah, going from the 60s, between 60s and 70s there. So, so we got a lot of guys there, right? And then in the 90s, where's the Jose's and the guys? Yeah. They're in the 90s, right? Now, I'm sharing my story, but I want you to think about you in the mission of God. God has been doing this stuff. I was unsaved in the 90s. That's where God dropped me. This is where he dropped William Tyndale. This is where I dropped out of the mind of God into reality. Um, in 81, I get saved here on the dot of 90. So I get saved here, um, or we get saved as a family, and I continue my journey. The first voices I hear, apostolic reformation. I come out of the experiences at my age of understanding, my teen years, 12, uh, 13, 14, apostolic reformation, I start to hear the word of God. And then nearing the 2000, God started to move inside of our lives. In the MD, we shared our story, right? About Mercy and I journey. And something was brewing inside of this community that God so fit that we must be a part of. We were not a part of this community. And he moved us to where we find ourselves today inside of the word of kingdom humanity. Right, so I love this timeline. So somewhere in the 80s is the beginning of my introduction. So this timeline helped me to frame my life correctly. And I'm hoping that it does the same to you guys as well. Um, but in my 20 years or after a decade, God placed a burden and wrestle a hunger in my heart for greater depth. And I remember my movement was based on this. I asked a question to God, which I posed to Merce. I said, I'm struggling inside of the worship context, inside of my life in God. God, show me and teach me how to have a lifestyle of worship. And that was my language. That's what I knew. That's what I said to God. And this is where he moved me. So turnings, twists, stuff going on inside the heart all the time. And you never know where you what God is doing, how things are forming. But look at the big picture. He's always at work. He's always working out some stuff. So if you're to see your life, where did you drop? Out of the mind of God, inside of this sequence. Where are you now? You know, how did God move inside of your heart? How did you find yourself here today? Um, and those are really great considerations to actually know Lifa prayed. Uh, she kind of, in fact, this entire meeting has been around my teach today. But you prayed about predestination. And this is the thing. It's us understanding. We went through last year teachings on predestination. Is that we don't just drop and stumble into things. We're not just falling into stuff. You know, we are following the Lord. And in following the Lord, he is showing us actually his intents along the way. We're catching up with him every part of the way. It's the convictions. It's the voice. It's the Holy Spirit working in our life. It's the groanings of your inward man. The, the groaning for something more. There has to be something more. Something more in you, God. Something more in you. This is great. I've lived in this space, but I'm, I'm, I'm growing to a point. I'm coming to the end of this phase. Something more in you, God. And, and this is where we find ourselves today. And so we thank God for the journey that, I thank God for the journey he took me on. How many of you thank God for that? Why do you want to give him praise for that? Yeah, we thank him for the journey he took us in along the way, right? And so 
I found myself here. I will build my church. And we've been through these scriptures. And um, remember the, 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 the teachers about the mission and me. So my considerations in there, when I read for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry in Ephesians 4.12, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want to summarize this. And so what we see there is a progression here from equipping the saints and edifying. You see that progression? This is equipping the saints. I'm, I'm a saint. I've been equipped. God has been ministering to my life. But he's been preparing me for something. It's our preparation to a place to, to bring us to this till we all come. He's been equipping us all the time. If you look at Colossians 1.28... We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect or complete in Christ. And so the admonishing, the teaching, presenting perfect in Christ, God has been bringing us to a place of fullness, right? He brought me to a place of fullness. And then I see you always have to find the why. The why. That the intent was that now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God be made known and broadcasted through the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. So we can, we can actually read that in this way. Ephesians is about I'm being equipped together with the saints to come to the full measure of the statue of Christ. I am being preached to and taught and admonished to be made complete and full in Jesus, to be adorned with the humanity of Christ. You see the sequence? So that the ultimate intent of the Lord, which is to be used, is to use my transformed life to broadcast his wisdom to the spaces of human life around me. I saw that and I saw a sequence in God that from the time I said yes to you, Lord, you've been taking me to a place of equipping. You've been taking me to a place of teaching and admonishing me. You've started my inclusion instead of this mission. From the day I got saved. And I want all of us to see that. That from the day you got saved. Your inclusion into this work had begun. And we had reached this point. That the intent of the Lord. Through our transformed life. Starts to work out. Inside of our spaces. He's been removing. The stains and wrinkles and blemishes. He's been increasing the measure of Christ in us. And we've been singing that song, Saturate Us, right? We've been saturated and fully baptized in his nature over time. And the thing I thought about and that we must consider that our life inside of this space, kingdom humanity, is a present continuous reality. We'll never stop being equipped. We'll never stop being admonished and made complete. We'll always be coming to the knowledge. Our knowledge will be complete for today. He'll bring us to that place. Tomorrow there is a new space. So it's a present continuous reality. And his, out, his intent will continue to work out in us. So as we engage in the mission, God will always be preparing us. God will always be empowering us. God will always be building us. The first scriptures we use there um, as the first scripture of kingdom humanity is Revelation 21, 2, which we read. 
Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And the word adorned means the cosmeo or the cosmos, the, to put in proper order, to arrange and to decorate and to beautify. The second scripture we use is in Ephesians 4:22 to 24. And we repeat these things. I think like Martha was saying, it's because we want to know when we deliver the word of kingdom humanity, what is the basis for our faith and our conviction? What is the evidence that God is speaking? Here's the evidence. Revelation 21, 2. The word that he spoke. Then I, John, saw a city. Here's the evidence. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, your old humanity, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, the new self, the new humanity created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on your new self, not the best Sunday worship or a better version of the Sunday, but your new self, the old humanity, we spoke about the stains, the wrinkles, and the blemishes. What is God dealing with? He's dealing with the things imprinted on your life from the time you were born. I was born in the 80s. I engaged God only 10 years later. In those 10 years of my growing and my development, I've been imprinted on. There's stuff, there's culture, there's religion, there's a whole bunch of things. There were spirits put on me that I needed to be break, um, broken free of. God released me. He released us in the days of our salvation. He broke the power of darkness. He delivered us from spirits. He delivered us from stuff. But the work of salvation continued. We are continuously being removed. Uh, or the, the stains are continuously being removed. We've been washed continuously as his word comes to us. And so the old me has been disappearing. It's been fading away. The more I hear God... The more this falls away and the more this, the new self emerges. I want us to see that, that the word of kingdom humanity for us is a place of emerging. It's a place of when I hear the word Lord, there's something that rises within my heart. There are things that come into my space that I did not encounter before. I am seeking you out for this new space. I'm, I'm seeing new territory inside of my own heart that has not been redeemed. And your word is coming to redeem that. So that your intent for me to be the manifold wisdom to the rulers and spaces of life may be established, may be accomplished. And this is the scriptures that we read. So I'm not going to go through all of this. Um, I was struggling a little bit because every time I was doing these slides, they got more and more and more. <laughs> and I was amazed at that. I was sitting and talking to Merce, and the things that we've, that we've been taught over the years, the way God has flowed in our life, it's an endless well of resource. And you have to just find the right way to put it together, right? So, so um, these are the scriptures. And I want us, I'm putting it up here because I want us to identify and see them. In your booklets, in, in the teachings, continue to read these. These are the scriptures that, that characterize devotion for us. These are some of them. It's there to give us an idea, a, a good launching point for conversations. Devotion in God. You shall serve no other God but me. We've heard that before, right? 
in following the Lord, in the mission of the Lord for the Israelites, you shall no, serve no other God but me. I've been created, I love this, created to worship you. I've been created, I've been created to worship you. I was born in 81, didn't know the Lord, but I was created, God, to worship you. Okay, this is the spheres. I want us to, to really go and study these things. These are good talking points for us um, inside of our conversations. So I'm going to move over to action points. And I was really looking at this here. Um, you know, inside of the MD session, we, we saw a couple of things come out and how we are becoming more missional. But it's actually within us as a community that God has been doing that. And I love this month of activation. I'm so glad it wasn't a one-day event. Um, that you needed to soak it in and take it in, right? And so action points. In Habakkuk 2, 2, it says, Write the vision down and make it plain, that he may run who reads it. Who reads it. In 1 Corinthians 14, 8, it says, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Amazing. Two, two really important issues. One is write something down, write the vision. The other one is sound the trumpet. Write the vision, sound the trumpet. You can't sound the trumpet without knowing what the vision is. What are you going to say? And in those days, the sounding of the trumpet was really, really essential to mobilize the armies. And in our case, to mobilize the army of the Lord. Everyone remember that last year, 2022, February, we came back. Martha shared with us what he had seen when we had gone on the retreat. And what he saw was continue to follow the Lord, march as the army, love, and, and God will on-ramp people to the journey. So how will people be on-ramped? The trumpet must be sounded. We have to be able to be clear of the vision of the Lord within our space. And so we let the Holy Spirit speak into our hearts. He wants to consolidate us that in a way, consolidate us inside of the word in the way that makes the trumpet sound certain and distinctive. We want that sound to be distinctive. We don't want people to hear a sound and try and figure out, is that a call to arms? Or is it, is it the lunch bell? What, what sound is that? You know, the armies are trained to actually know the call to arms. Um, and so that sound has to be distinctive. So what sounds are we emitting within this space in this time of activation? What, when I talk to you and you talk to me, what a sound are you hearing from me? Are you hearing the sound of the mission of the Lord? That there is movement and mobilization inside of my heart? That all of me is within this thing? That everything that I have is being mobilized? Are you hearing the sound of mobilization? What are the sounds that we're hearing? Let's agree to have a very distinct sound. A sound that causes those around us to know there's something going on. There's a call to arms. God is doing something in the earth. And there's a call to join, to be on-ramped inside of the mission of the Lord. And we looked at some practical steps, which I'm just going to rehearse for us. You know, we have to be reading the booklets, guys. Mine is starting to have some colors and everything in there. I'm a very digital person, so I've been reading minds on, on the book, but sometimes you need this stuff, right? You need, you need this, you need this pencil, um, you need stuff to, to actually do the work, to, 
allow your brain to absorb this, to allow your spirit to absorb it, to allow your eyes to see certain things that God is pointing you towards, the emphasis. So read the booklet. Let it, read it. I'm reminded of Joshua. You know, in Joshua 1, it says, this book of the law shall not leave your heart, not leave your sight, not leave you. But what it says, meditate on it day and night that you would seek to do everything that is in it. And what comes after that? Be bold and courageous. There's a moment of arising in God that requires us to, to be bold and courageous. And in, and, and in meditating on God's word, that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves being saturated, baptized in it. It must be inside of your DNA. It must be an innate quality where the mission of the Lord and you are one. Um, and we've got the, the posters that have been sent out. Please, guys, just continue to, let's continue to use the stuff to reach out. The posters and all of the stuff that we have, right? These are just reminders. I haven't even got to my main parts yet. You will feel it when it arrives. <laughs> okay, so there's some immediate stuff. Be a witness of Christ and go and exercise it. You know, participate in cycles of engagement. I think we have to start to activate this, this sort of stuff. Tabling conversations around the mission of the Lord for us. Reflecting, testifying, imparting. Um, we have to engage in outreach and do some stuff around this stuff. So I'm going to probably just share a couple of things. I know Mafo was talking about you know, some stuff in the community that he was going on, these projects. And even with the soccer team, uh, the boys were very disappointed that they weren't a part of your soccer team <laughs> as well. But, um, but you're going out and you, you're taking bold steps. Um, inside of our space, this is a little bit of a testimony. We, we actually, for years, within our own professions for Mercer and myself in the financial and, and legal space have been contending with this space, contending in a very real way. There are spirits here that reside that are still, that are, are terrible to deal with. Um, but there are people here needing to be set free. And there has to be someone in Pharaoh's courts with a conviction and a staff in their hand um, that declares the end of something and the freedom of people within the space. And so we've been carrying these burdens, wrestling. We, we actually um, caused us to leave jobs and be quiet for a moment, not have a job in the process. You know, leave jobs, leave workspaces, leave comfort, because the wrestling of the Lord inside of our heart, there are, there are strongholds in the spaces that need to be broken, but there is truth that needs to be established. Truth breaks the back of every stronghold. Because the plan of the enemy is to bring confusion. The dependency is based on confusion. You are dependent on something because you do not understand. But where truth is, you're able to make good judgment. You're able to see freedom. You're able to be set free. And so we were embarking on these things. And towards the end of last year, what happened was we were going to God into public engagements, into the body of Christ, into churches, and start to speak on what we do in a very different way. Um, and the beginning of Feb, when we started mission, the mission of Kingdom Humanity, we started act this activation process. God just dropped in our space. And how we know that God dropped? Because the things that we wanted to do, the doors were shut. But when the activation started, the doors opened up. 
And, and so we find ourselves next week, guys, on the 4th of March, on a Saturday, we're going to find ourselves talking about financial planning, financial issues, legal services, to a group and a sector of, of pastors in Durban, who are 150 leaders uh, in that space. And guess what? The, the word of kingdom humanity is there. Because kingdom humanity is showing up and the banners that we're talking about inside of the space is our personal humanity and our citizenship. We don't need educated people to save the world. We need godly people with a mission, with a deep conviction that looks not like everybody else, um, but to deliver a word from God. And so we're excited about that. And that's where I was talking about the action points. Yeah, we've got to engage be a witness, go and exercise, make the questions. Incidentally, we've got two, two other meetings that we're going to be running with a similar thing, and these are senior citizens, two se different senior citizens group, one right inside of the Catholic Church. <laughs> At, you know, that's how it goes. We're going to be, hopefully, well, it's a scary reality. I'm going to be 42, and I just told the story of Tyndale. <laughs> But this, this, this is the time to be out. We've got we've to be out. We've got to go out and exercise. So whether it's soccer teams or cleaning up your neighborhoods and teaching you how to occupy spaces, go build houses, occupy, clean up your streets, um, do the work of the Lord wherever you are. What is God doing? And I love the word that you know, when, when Robert was exhorting us earlier, you've got to take that rod of livelihood, whatever that represents. For me, it's our legal financial space. Whatever that livelihood is for you, God repurposes that rod. He uses it to bring freedom to people and bring them to the knowledge of his word. Amen. So we're looking forward to that. And this is you know, some of the things that we're going to be engaging in. I think we're there right now. We're starting. Rob's going out. Um, to Dubai. We're in the mission for real. There's no turning back. So this is me, guys. This is where I let's take a breather. The mission in me, you know, part of the things that I was grappling with is, is how people journey with the Lord and how do we journey with the Lord. Part of the things I feel that, you know, um, cause people to actually abort certain things along the way and to turn their backs, you know, you turn your back on church, you think you're turning your back on, on people, you think you're turning your back on relationships and not want to walk a certain way. Or, but what are you really doing is giving up your mission. You've exiting, you've on-ramped, and then you're taking the off-ramp. You're exiting the mission of the Lord. God is always working, what we've seen. That timeline tells us he's always been doing something. And I've been thinking about why does that happen? And the only thing I could think of is, you know, inside of my own life is there has to be something faulty with our devotion. You cannot love the things out here more, that's so much more, um, and give emphasis and time to it, that when there is conflict, when there is drama, when there is challenge, when you are challenged, when the things of life overwhelm you, that you give up the mission. You have to love God. You have to love God through all of it. And so I want to remind us of some scriptures that we spoke about that shaped my life and my devotion to the Lord. And I was speaking to the kids about this. I talked to 
to the boys about this a little at a time, you know, in small doses as they grow up. But these are things that actually shaped me when I was growing up. You shall have no other gods but me. And that's coming from the devotion. You know, we, we, Robert had that slide here. So I've taken the scriptures from here. From here. And we put that there. You shall not have no other God but me. You shall not have no other God but me. In Matthew 22, 37, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Um, in Luke 4, 8, it says, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Isaiah 43, 21, he says, I've been created to worship you, God. You know, somewhere along the way, we've developed a right to our life. And we don't have a right to our life. That the journey of salvation, what do we say? That God, I believe in you. That you died for my sins. And that you purchased me by your blood. We don't own our life. We don't own the things around us. We've been bought by the Lord. And so we've been created to worship him. Whatever context you find yourself in. Whether you were saved or not saved, God created you to worship him. God created us to live and to serve no other gods, no other hegemons, no other thinking, no other strongholds, no other, no other contending things in our life. That's what that word means. It says no other gods, no other gods, no other idols, no other contending realities in our life would, would take us away from him. Our devotion to the Lord. I love this scripture. It talks about Christ being revealed in the NIV, in Titus 2. I was going to actually share with us a little bit of a, um, about a thing. Yeah, it's, quite, it's quite amazing when you read the Word of God. I love the Word of God. I love different aspects of it and you know, different parts there. Um, I'm hoping to go there now. So in Titus, I thought this was quite funny, eh? but... Um, but these are realities also. So I'm going to read you just a passage from uh, Titus 2. It says, You, however, from verse 1, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. What does that mean? It means there were older men that needed to be temperate. There was some stuff going on. There were older men that weren't found worthy to be respected in the time, that lacked self-control. And the Word of God comes in to actually correct these things. It says, Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. Some problems there. Or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Can you see? I want us to see culture formed there. And that the kingdom of God comes to remove the stains, the wrinkles, and the blemishes of cultural things. And cultural things is not just that I'm an Indian or Zulu or I'm white or I grew up in a certain space. Culture is the, the environment and also around you. The things that give you shape, your neighborhoods have, a own, have its own culture. It's a diverse neighborhood. There's different belief systems. There's different people in there, but it has a culture, a way in which you do stuff. Okay? 
And then in this, in this space, you found that these are the things that were, were going on, and the word of God comes to deal with that. But from verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, that's in the NIV, that offers salvation to all people. It appears to us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Which age? This age, that's today. This age, where we are right now, in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing again, the word appearing, of the glory of our, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, uh, purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The NLT, I love the way the NLT does that. It says, for the grace of God has been revealed. It says appeared, but in NLT it says revealed. It says has been revealed. It is being opened up. That word reveal means that it was not accessible before. You didn't know about it. Something that was an unknown has now become a known to you. So the word of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living. A living and an existence without the acknowledgement of the Lord in your life. And a living and an existence of decision making that, that works against the kingdom of God. That works against your own salvation. Godless lives. The things of the Lord that work against us. We, we subscribe to a whole bunch of things that actually contend in our life for kingdom life to come in. And for the Zoe of God, godless life and sinful pleasures, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward to the hope that a wonderful day, to that wonderful day when the glory of God, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, again, will be revealed. He gave us his life to free us from every kind of sin and to cleanse us. Now, I was looking at that and thinking, you know, for myself, the word of God. Am I being free every time I engage with the word of kingdom humanity? Every time I read your word. Every time I sit and listen to Rob. What are the things that I need to be freed of? What are the things I need to be cleansed? What are the stubborn realities that work and contend against the things of God? And I love this part. It says... With wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to the Lord. That when the things of God are revealed, the requirement is a more devoted life to Him. A best response to the Lord is to be devoted. So a, a response to God's promises. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, uh, 3 to 8, it says, By His divine power, God has given us everything. God has given us everything we need for godly life. So, are we challenged? Is there stuff that is, you know, that, that really are obstacles in our way? We love God and we want to serve Him. But God has given us everything. Is there anything that He has not given you? No. He has given us everything. Is there stuff that is plaguing you? Is stuff that is coming in your space that is just stopping you that is obstacles no cannot be so right because he's giving us everything 
that in the midst of all things we can live godly lives. We have received all of, his, all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself. That has been the journey of salvation. I did not know the Lord one day. And then when I came to the Lord, I felt him call me to himself. He called me to himself by means of his marvelous and glory ex glorious excellence. And because of the glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These promises that enable you to share his divine nature. The promises of the Lord that to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, and this is where I like it. This is what I like. In view of all of this, having considered all things, having listened, having considered, having heard all of this, that God has called us and given us everything. He's called us to himself, that he shared promises because of his glory and excellence. In view of all of this, there's some stuff that we have to do. We have to make every effort to respond. And so a time of mission when God has revealed an unknown to us and activated us into, in, into the mission field and has grown us into it. Our activation is a point of our maturity into something. God has walked with us. He's been saturating. He's been growing us. But we have to make every effort to respond. Who responds? We respond. Do we wait for God to say, okay, go there now. There's your friend. Do we wait, God... Are we praying prayers of God? Reveal to me who is the next person that needs to be saved. Is it this person, Lord? Is it that person, God? Is it this sphere that needs me? No. We make the effort to respond to what? To God's promises. That was a reminder of God's promise to us. He said, I will use you inside of the ordination to deal with, to correct, to bring redemption to the abnormalities in the body. That's God's promise, but make every effort. In this time of mission, LSA, we have to be making the effort. We have to be excited about going out and making the effort to respond. We offer God a response. And I love this. He says, supplement your faith and your response with a generous provision. The NLT is an amazing language, right? Uh, the way it's written. A generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence knowledge and knowledge self-control. Self-control with patient endurance. So, uh, and, you know, what it says is you have this stuff, but grow in them. Ask for more of them. You know, and, uh, and patient endurance with godliness and godliness, brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful. And I love that. The NIV says that it will save you if you increase in these things from being ineffective and unproductive. But I love the NLT. It's an affirmative. It says to grow like this to be more productive and useful. More productive and useful. And in this time, we want to be people that are more productive and useful. We want to offer a response to God and His promises to us. We want God to want to look at us and be busy because LSA is busy. 
want God to be moving around and the heavens to be buzzing because LSA is in the mission field. They need stuff. The artilleries are working over time. You know, the guys in, in, in heaven, you can imagine this, this artillery, this arsenal of stuff, and there's guys that are involved in, in, in angels that need to dispense what you need. We want the heavens to be busy because there's a people on earth that are living inside of the space that they've been called to and are making every effort to respond in this time. Our devotion to the Lord, and this says that our devotion to the Lord is foundational. We'll not fall apart if we love the Lord with all our heart, our mind, our soul. We will not leave his stuff. We live to honor and worship the Lord with all our hearts and with all of our life. And that I'm paraphrasing. It's actually in page three of the booklet. It's under devotion. Rob, Rob wrote that for us there. And, and so our devotion is foundational. and We live for him to worship the Lord with all our hearts and all of our life. In Romans 12, and this is one of the scriptures that I've been looking at, because inside of that segment on devotion, if we read there, Rob was talking about being a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. And this scripture resonates inside of my heart. I don't know how many times Merce hears this. You know, but it's a conditioning scripture. When you read it, you get conditioned over and over again. Why do we need that? We need to rehearse these things. Why do we need that? Because the enemy doesn't come for you once. Culture does not come for you once. We win that battle. It's not a battle you win for a lifetime once and never, never again. They are consistently knocking on your door. Consistently coming after you to recondition, to tell you stuff. To... To, to, to make you derail, to make you deviate. They consistently come in to imprint. The world wants to imprint its ways on us. And so this scripture is something that I read regularly. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in what? In view of God's mercy. Again, remember we were talking about to make every effort to respond. Here we're saying, in view of God's mercy, what do we do? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is a true and proper worship. And I got that in red. Do not conform. Do not conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform. Do not conform. How do we not conform? We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. The more we offer ourselves to God in view of what he's done, in view of what we see God do today. The more we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, the more we are renewed in our minds. Why? Here's the intent. Then you will be able. And I saw that a few, a fresh, and I've been reading scripture for a while. Because what is the intent of the Lord? That his wisdom, we become the the, the, you know, the, in, in the human form, we become the wisdom of the Lord to the systems of the earth and to the spaces of life. That we speak judgment, we speak wisdom into the spaces of life. Yeah? And you see, there's always an intent. He makes us, he grows us, he saves us, he draws us, he works with us. We embrace him as Lord. He calls us to do a devotional life. Why? For us to be able to test and approve the, what the will of God is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We always have to be 
enabled by the Lord. The more we are renewed, the more we are enabled. The more something comes out and the, the truth of the Lord is established, we are enabled. The more something comes out of us that is not supposed to be resident, our, our pre-Jesus days or our current days where there are things imprinted on us through life circumstances, there are, there are thoughts that we have that we carry because it affects us some way. The more we allow those things to come out, the more the Lord establishes himself, the more of the humanity of Christ in us, the more enabled we are. We have to cry out to the Lord to be enabled in view of we offer. And so what is that? We talk about our bodies. Our bodies there, it says, as a living sacrifice. And I want us to think about our bodies in this sense. That is, yes, the physical sense in our bodies. In those days, you know, the priests used to actually offer a lamb to the Lord that was unblemished, pure lambs, unblemished, unwrinkled lambs, a pure offering to the Lord upon the altar in which they would sacrifice to the Lord, the priests of old used to sacrifice. And so that's what it refers to here. So in Romans, it's talking about being a living sacrifice, placing your life on the altar and having it consumed by the Lord, having him use that sacrifice, having him take your life. And so in the figurative sense, it means to present our life as a sacrifice, not just my physical body, the life that I live as a sacrifice to him. That means my time, my energy, my resources, my sense of security in the world, my skill, my spaces of life, my dreams, my aspirations, my desires and longings in my heart. We present it to him on the altar. And that's what we do when we devote it to the Lord. There's nothing else matters but him. I live to serve you, God. I'm a bond servant to your purpose and to your will. There's nothing more that I want to do than to place my life on the altar continuously. To surrender fully to the Lord is an act of my devotion and my worship to him. And we love to worship you, Lord. We worship you. And so we continue to lay our life before you because that's the act of my worship. So that when we come here and we worship the Lord, the incense have already been gone, going up to him. The smell of my, my sacrifice of my life has been going up to the Lord as a sweet incense. When we lift our voice to him, it's more than the words that he hears. He hears the people devoted to him. He hears a life devoted to him. Verse 2, it says, do not conform. What that means is that we don't act in accordance to what a prevailing standard is. We don't live in agreement to what the prevailing standards are. We don't live in harmony with it. But we are consistently being renewed so that the only thing that we are in harmony with is the Lord and his work. And so we transformed. It says that do not conform, but be transformed. And that presupposes that there are degrees of our conformity. That means that we, you, if I have to give us an example, there are degrees of conformity for my life, being an Indian, Indian man, that I grew up, I got a whole bunch of things that I had to journey through, you know, being in different environments, but there are degrees, there are parts of my conformity that I would have to confront as I journey with the Lord. 
I haven't fully walked away from this. I am walking more into the nature of Christ, but I am still, there are parts of my life that are conformed still. And so there are degrees of our conformity in us that only by transforming can we be set free from. And then that part comes. Then you will be able. And so sometimes we, you know, we can be caught in the space of wanting to do a work for the Lord. And I'm actually reminded of, you know, just what I felt for the chaises here. But I think it was for us too, is that we can resolve to live for the Lord. But some stuff is holding us back. And in, in, in some cases, that could be the degrees of conformity. We have to go back and relook and reassess every single time. Then you will be able. And then you will be able means that to enter into the intent of the Lord, that enablement to be the trumpet and the broadcast of his manifold wisdom. Then you will be able. But God has given us what? Everything we need. Alice say, don't feel like you cannot. We have everything that we need to actually engage in the mission of the Lord. And so, our devotion in the Lord, and this is, this is the stuff that I was feeling inside of my own heart. We give a love offering to the Lord unto the one who first loved us. That has to be the basis of my devotion to the Lord. My first love. God, you loved me first. That you gave your son to die for me. And so the base of my devotion to you and why I will never leave you is you love me first. Our life, we willingly lay on the altar as a living sacrifice. We offer our life a living sacrifice. That means we serve you with all of our heart, our mind, our body, and our soul. And that we heed the call of the new era of kingdom humanity. We heed the call of the new era. And God has through his word and by his spirit has always been steering the course of our lives to this very moment. To this very moment in the grand purposes of the Lord. We, that timeline has to be on the forefront. That there has been history. There has been people journeying and this is where we find ourselves. And we want our kids to find us later on when they reflect and update their timelines that there, were, as there was a generation that actually walked with God, that relied on, on the everything that God has to live godly lives and to break status quo. There was a generation that set a pattern of being renewed and coming out of conforming realities, to not be conformed. And a generation that was focused intently on being enabled to enter into spaces of life. That you work into the mission. That's our story, our predestination. And that timeline is our story of predestination. So I want to talk to us about something now. And I think with this, this is where I arrived when I was actually reading this. That an altar needs to be erected in which to offer the living sacrifice. That God, I am the living sacrifice. But there has to be an altar to, to place the sacrifice on, right? And so we commit to the Lord. We're going to be erecting altars. An altar that will be there on a permanent basis. The altar of our manhood that we place on the altar before the Lord. We don't, 
want the world to detect to us what a man should be and how I should be and how I should father my kids and how I should, the kingdom of God has come to do that. I see in Christ manhood and I embrace it. I see the humanity of Christ. I see in him a proper structure of a man. And I embrace that. Nothing in this world would detect to me. We create altars of womanhood. Family altars. And I'm going to talk to us a bit about our family altar story. You know, uh, family altars. Altars of friendships. Walking together in agreement. God ordained missional relationships. People that, like God, dropped you. And I love that phrase. You know? I said it inside of my mind. It didn't... Uh, it didn't it didn't sit, I had to say it a couple of times, but really we dropped out of the mind of the Lord into the earth. In the same way that I fell out of the mind of God at a certain point in time, so did every one of us. And God had it in his mind that there would be a company of people that you would journey with. So part of predestination is to believe that the people that God has actually you, that you find yourself with right now has been predestined to walk with you. We've been predestined. We, I, 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 if God provides everything and has predestined our life, then we have to believe that every part of it has been shaped by him. The wives that we must marry, Carl, have been predestined and preordained. The friends, Subu, that God brings into our life has been predestined by the Lord. Why? What do we see in the sequence? We see God draw us close to him, shape us, mold us, equip us, so that his intent may, may prove true, may come to a reality. So, so what does it mean for our friendships? It means that God brings a Subu into my life. He brings a Tami into my life. So that we can move inside of those relationships to become more missional and to actually do the work of the Lord, to walk side by side inside of the things of the Lord. And so we have to be putting our friendships on the altar, burning up all of the things that come to, you know, you know it's great to have brides and social stuff and all of those things. I love that. I love having fun. But when they are God-ordained relationships, it can't be fun all the time. You have to be having missional conversations, challenging conversations. That's burning the altar. That's burning the, the sacrifice on the altar. That's placing the, the friendship and relationship on the line. And it's about going and having the fun, sitting around the table, having you know, supper sometimes, or, or talking, or going out. But before you leave, sometimes it's about ending in prayer. Just because... The last thing you want is not the f to remember when walking outside, outside the door to return back home. It's not just the fun. It's the fact that I have just left you know, my friend's place, someone that I walk with inside of the things of God. You walk away with something. It's about walking intentionally inside of that space. It's about challenging, sharpening each other in the process. Putting our friendships on the altar. God ordained missional relationships. And the people in this room, people on Zoom, these are all the relationships. And people that to, are to come are the relationships that God has given us to actually walk with. The altars of vocation. And this is, we know too well, because you know we've struggled inside of this space to exist 
in this world. We, we walked into our careers in a predefined world, and all of us have done that. There's a way in which you go to university, you study, you do stuff, you walk into a corporate, you walk into a business, you do stuff. There's already a preset frame that exists. But when you live for the Lord, you have to determine the new frame of the Lord for that. You have to put it on the altar. We don't celebrate the, um, you know, the, the, the achievements of this world. We don't celebrate those things. What we celebrate is, is that God is carving out a stone in us. And that stone we used actually to be hurled at the very thing that people celebrate. So that the kingdom of God may become a huge mountain in the midst of our industries, in our lecturing communities, in, in whether you're doing lecturing or, or whether you're a doctor in Prince Mshani having water issues. What, what you're really doing is you're going every single day and the mountain of the Lord is growing. He's been established that, you, that the stone is being carved out in your life. And you're walking into spaces as, as students, you're walking inside of the university space and campus. It may be your first time, but there's a stone carved out in your life that you're walking there with. You're not going there to be framed. You have a framing God that you bring to your spaces. And so that's the thing that we want to be able to do. We want to bring that frame inside of the spaces. So we erect the altars, God. We want you to be pleased with our offering. We want you to transform us and enable us. So what are some of the things, and we must be thinking about it, what are some of the things that we want to offer to the Lord? And my prayer to you, my, my you know, when, when Paul says, I urge you, I urge you to consider what are some of the things inside of your life that you want to offer to the Lord? I urge you to lay it on the altar. To surrender it to Him. Some of us may feel a pressing desire to open our lives to, um, for the mission, to be a place of sanctuary, our life, right? For people to come, dock with us, engage, to be an interface. And, and Martha's been talking to us about becoming an effective interface. But disrupts our lives. It means that the way I used to live, I cannot live anymore. But we count that cost. We want to be a place of sanctuary. You lay your life in that manner on the altar as a living sacrifice. Maybe our homes, you know, our homes are a place of sanctuary for the saints to come in, for us to, to host people and to do brides and to do stuff so that people can encounter the Lord and be transformed. But it will change the way you spend your week. It will change the way you have to have conversations around at home around the administration of your life and your home, the arrangement, the setup, what you put in it, you know? If you come to my house, uh, must, must have cups to serve the whole community. And I wonder sometimes, I have no place in our cupboards for cups. There's no place. If you come there, there's a tray, the cups actually outside. I've got boxes full of cups. I've got tea cups. I've got all different types. There's cups, 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 every single place that you look. Right? We, you know, your cups also run over. We run you over with cups. <laughs> but why? Because of the arrangement of our home. We want people to come into our space. We don't want to be limiting, so it changes the way you do things. You know, a single sometimes you can have just two forks and two spoons and two plates, just in case one visitor comes. Right? But what do you have to consider? 
you have to consider, if I want my home to be a place of interface, what are the things I need to change? How do I need to shape things around? What, what should be the temperament of my home and the atmosphere? That when people walk in, the things I put on my wall, and, and so I, 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 you know, for even the boys in a very indirect way, the way we train them is boys and teenagers love to have posters, right? Posters and they were all things that, they, I, that young boys idolize and stuff. And so you go there, you'll see uh, pictures of celebrities and you'll see cars and you'll do all those sort of things. But in a very intentional way, but you know, unconsciously for them, where they don't feel robbed, they've actually got scriptures, things that define their life. They've got stuff around them that talks about LSA and the community and all of those things. Why? Because when their, kid, their friends come over, we don't want an abundance of conversations on Lamborghini and this celebrity and that celebrity. No, we want the home to be, have a certain temperament. So you're intentional. You don't look like everybody else. You're the boring family at times. You don't look like every other friend's home, but you're intentional. You're intentional and so conversations around the table it will mean you're having conversations to orient the family, to bring everybody to that oneness of mind. It means that there's certain things in this home that we do and certain things that we don't. That in the mission field, that all things may be permissible but not all beneficial to the way we walk. And so the, these are the practical things in our devotion to the Lord, the altars that we are erecting. We have to be laying on those altars those sacrifices. And so I want to take you to a little bit of the family altar conversations out of the home. And uh, this has been something that we used to do when I was, when I was young, in the, you know, as well. I was t 10, 11 years old, having just got saved, and we used to have family altars. Six o'clock, you would meet in the dining room or the lounge and have an hour of prayer, just worship, sing a song, pray, read scriptures. Um, I used to try and read the scripture and interpret it at 10. <laughs> Some amazing revelations, guys. <laughs> amazing revelations. But we've, we've done that. And so in this space where we thought we've never had these before, but coming into the year, we felt there, there's something new that needs to take place in our, in our world. We don't want to journey and lose our kids for the sake of God's mission. We've got to break that curse over the church leaders pastors kids problems you know families elders worship leaders ushers wherever people doing the work of the Lord but lose their family along the way and that that we break right now we break that curse right and so we have to bring the family around the mission of the Lord because we in this time of activating the mission of the Lord and we don't want our kids to like what What's going on? We don't understand what's going on. And so we've started our family altars in between just for a few minutes. We started off with some days, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, where we can find extra time during the homework and during the busy schedules. Um, and sometimes as a parent, you're in that space and the boys are tired after a long day. And while you're worshiping and praying, they fall asleep. They fall asleep. But what they say is, in the morning, mom, dad, 
I really enjoy family altar because I got up refreshed. You know, they, they were sleeping in there, but they got up refreshed. But that's not the big deal. The big deal is about having a different culture in response to what God is doing in your day. That as they grow, they were once infants playing on the floors like the, the small kids with toys. Now they're taking notes and writing songs in books and being inspired by God, wanting to do drums, want, part of the tech team. You know, I used to take Kai out to Diaconia just to make him sleep and bring him back. And he used to have a blanket right next to us that he used to sleep on every Sunday. That's not him today. You know, and so the family altar is our thing. And I want to encourage us, guys, take time, build an altar for your family. And what you're really doing there is talking about who we are in the mission as a family. Who we are in the mission as a family. Okay. And so as a household, we, you have to sometimes, you know, you'll have to run the budgets. You have to make certain decisions. You have to spend time. You have to design your week a certain way. You have to administrate your life in accordance to what the Lord demands from you now. And it's mom and dad's responsibility to do that. And so we, we took a decision when we got married. Um, I'm going to share a little bit of a testimony. When we got married, we decided that out of, we, we were in a flat when we got married. Not everything was great. Um, we were in a flat. We got married. I think the, the guys in the MD know our story. That same flat, that same stuff, just got married, went in, and we decided, Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want us making that decision. As for me and my house, we resolve to serve the Lord. We make the confession before the Lord. You know, Robert was talking to us about MD, that confession, that confession. Though I am weak, I am strong. Though I am poor, I am rich. And the confession was not based on that time where we had everything. So you look at us now, you hear the story of, or you come to our home, there's men's worship encounter, there's CKH. But you know what the beginning points of that was? We could only invite two or three people because we only had one parking bay by that flat. But we resolved that God, whatever we have, we'd live for you. So where we could not accommodate, we went out. We went to spaces. We live for God. And then you start to move into another space. You can accommodate more. And there was this burning desire. There was a space inside of our hearts to say that actually we want our house to be a house of worship. Yeah. This is 2005. And today we have worship practice there. We have encounters. We do things. But we made that decision not having everything that we needed at the time. Because the decision is one of a resolve in the heart, not out of the abundance of what you have. I want us making a resolution in the heart. That as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord with everything that we have. We don't have the stuff that we need now, but there's a resolution in my heart. That I would live for you. That my decisions are always based on what your demands are and my response to it. And where I am weak, I declare in faith the confession that I am strong. Where I am poor, I am rich in you. You know, um, and that's scripture, 1 John 5, 14. 
says with, this is our confidence. We have in approaching God. This is our confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. And part of my last slide in, in closing, I think it's time to ask God for some stuff. Yeah. It's a moment in God that we've arrived to that we have to say, God, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. In our lack, we serve the Lord. In our abundance, we serve the Lord. Where I need stuff, I still serve the Lord. But whatever we ask will be given to us. And so I, wanted us, I want us to enter a time now, even as we close, just to pray some prayers. And I want us to consider what are some of the things that you want to ask the Lord for? And I was really inspired by CPI. Different sorts of prayers emerging inside of this community. Different prayers. Prayers that are meeting the Lord where he is right now. Prayers that are reflective of the demand of the Lord over our lives. And so I heard something new and fresh. Prayers emerging. And the phrase inside of my heart is, it's time. It's time to petition the Lord. It's time to go before the Lord and to seek him. It's time to go before the Lord in the mission of kingdom humanity and ask him for stuff inside of our home, inside of our lives. As we erect the altars, as we put our life before the Lord and we start to sacrifice for him. Why? Because he drawed us close. He died for us. He pulled us into this kingdom. He dropped, we dropped out of his mind in a moment in time where he was doing stuff just like every other person before us. And we have to offer a response consistent with what God is doing in us. Consistent to the investment of the Lord and his word in our space. Consistent to the work of the Lord inside of our life. We have to offer a response to him. And a response to him is a movement away from conformity. A response to him is a movement away from the realities that are prevailing around us to a place of being transformed and renewed in our minds. Only that we may be able to be the testimony, to approve, to establish the will of God in our spaces. And where we lack, we declare, though we are weak, that his strength is with us. And where we are poor, the riches of the Lord is available to us. And that whatever we ask, we know we ask in accordance with your will. And that whatever we need, we ask for, that God, you have already opened up to supply. Amen. And this is our life of devotion to the Lord. I know no other life but to live for him. We can created to worship him. We serve no other God, no other idol, no other thing, no other system of man, no other system of darkness but him. Amen. Let's all stand.